Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the D&B Supply Show podcast. Hey, this is your host, Matt Breckwald, and today we are going to, man, one of the, I don't know, maybe fastest growing and most well-known spots for people to get in touch with local agriculture here in the Treasure Valley, both for Canyon County and for Ada County, and that is Vogel Farms. We're going to be speaking with Debbie Englehart Vogel. We're going to be talking about turkeys in November and uh, the uh, trials and tribulations of raising those birds and a lot, lot more. So, Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. You bet. My pleasure. And uh, as we talked about off the air, my wife and my daughter are huge fans of your scones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are that that was a surprise. I, I was surprised they are as popular as they are i mean i just word got out and we're selling sometimes to two to three hundred scones a saturday wow yeah you're getting very popular yeah and that's great i enjoy uh baking's kind of a relaxation for me so and you know we hope to only do it around here i don't you know we're not looking to get huge but we do we do enjoy it well, you know, there's a couple reasons that I reached out to you to have you on the show. I mean, obviously, DNB Supply, this is our land and animals episode of the month. And, and obviously, uh, a lot of the clientele, a lot of the people that come into DNB Supplies, they've got a lifestyle in mind. A lot of it mm-hmm. carries over into agriculture rural kind of this this image we've got of of living rural and things like that and we've got a lot of people moving to the state who also have that image in their mind they kind of want to get away from the hustle and the bustle and the things like that and coming out to a place like vogel farms uh no matter where whoever's listening to me no matter where they're at can kind of instill some of that back in it can kind of bring some of that in and and give you that feel and uh man you guys are such a good example of how that works can you give us a little bit of history of vogel farms when it was started what it's all about and what it looks like today yeah um it was started in 1950 by my husband's father and so it was just a farm regular standard you know little dairy little this, all that. Um, and then I had, I married my husband in 98. I'm from Seattle. So we farmed, I was still working as a consultant. So I was traveling quite a bit. So when I was retiring from consulting, my husband and I had talked about doing this little country market and kind of diversifying. We were just a hog operation, but we were talking about diversifying and, and opening up the farm to people, mm-hmm. you know, um and it's grown from there it just was one little store uh you know now we have a year-round christmas shop a gift shop we have food you know a lot of products that we make all the animals that we're you know raising here plus we do jams jellies and stuff and it's just trying to get people kind of in touch with the land where you get your food sure and that was 1998 when the two of you made that decision uh, no, I moved here in 98. Oh, I apologize. Um, it was 2006 when I retired. Got it. Getting close to retiring from consulting. And that's when we made the decision. So I had seen a, you know, just a regular, it was just a regular operating farm prior mm-hmm. to that. Now that's interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they, they want to farm and they work towards mm-hmm. it all their lives. And then when they retire and they they take that retirement, they get the pension or the 401k or whatever that may be, then all of a sudden they can just do their farm and they don't have to do anything else. But when that happened to you, that's when you decided to invite people onto your farm 
So what was the stimulus behind that decision? It seems like if you wanted to, you probably could have just enjoyed it all to yourself. Yes. Um, Well, part of it is that I... I was a consultant for Fidelity Investments, and so I worked back east quite a bit. And everybody was completely intrigued that I would be on these conference calls, and I'd sit there, I'm looking at horses, or I'm, you know, whatever. And people were just very intrigued about it. And, you know, particularly in New York, there were people that didn't really know what it was about. I mean, I was just surprised. And so, I mean, I enjoy people. I didn't want to just be back here by myself, you know. Um, and then I kind of put married the two together. I would go to different cities and see these cute little shops. And I thought, wow, we could do something like that out here. Okay. And use what we're raising. And then as as we, you know, developed it, then I got more, way more interested in letting people know what we actually do out here. You know, that they're... When when they come out and they're picking up their groceries or something, they'll see my grandsons grinding the feed for the chickens, mm-hmm. and it's a big tractor and a grinder mixer, and and you know that's really getting in touch with what's going on, or they're combining the corn, and so they get to see um, the corn being raised. You know, mm-hmm. at first there's nothing, and before you know it, it's six feet tall, and that people just don't understand. I mean, I've I've gotten some questions that. Yeah, I was raised in the city, but I actually knew that you could get eggs without a rooster. Mm-hmm. There are so many people that do not know that. Yeah, I know. Smart people. I mean, I'm like, like, where are the roosters? Well, they're not there. And and so just simple things like that. I think we've gotten so far away from it. We just don't. It's not in our scope, and I want to bring that back. Sure. Well, that's interesting. So going back to so 2005, so you've been at this about 16 years now. Mm -hmm. How have you you seen questions about farming and about ag change over that decade and a half? You know, I think people people are interested in, you know, doing stuff like – I mean, I get a lot of questions of people that want to do something like we're doing, but – it is really hard. I would say it'd be really hard to get into it without having a substantial amount of money to mm-hmm. invest on it. I was fortunate. We had the land, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the questions I get from people just with uh, meat, you know, with all the um, recalls they have, E. coli scares, etc. you know, they're wanting to feel safer that mm-hmm. this food is going to be safe that we're not doing the massive you know it's not in these big vats or whatever so Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the things that i've noticed a great deal of lately it's just how safe is the food you know i mean compared they they don't like going to the grocery store and getting it so and and it tastes better i mean i didn't Mm -hmm. realize the very first time when i still was in seattle and i had come here to visit my parents when i met my husband and I had come over here for dinner and he served pork and I didn't know what it was. Hmm. It's really good. And I asked him and I thought, you know, at that point he probably thought I was an idiot, but it was like, (laughs) this is not the pork you get in the store. Yeah. It is very interesting. There's a lot of information out there that, that have made consumers concerned about this Mm -hmm. type of stuff and, and they're seeking other, uh, they're seeking other outlets, other places where they can source their food and then, of course, uh, COVID came along, and all of a sudden, there, the grocery stores, you know, the demand for locally produced food, like what you're doing, it really went through the roof. Did you experience that? Yes. 
In fact, we could not have kept up with that demand had it continued. I mean, we we sold out of a lot of stuff, and then you know what I've been doing, and I you know there's there's shortages or talk of shortages now, and I, and I really try to you know limit. I say I try to do we do a subscription, a monthly subscription. Mm-hmm. So I try to get people to do that rather than buying a bunch of stuff at once because it's just you know I don't want to run up against that again. Gotcha. So it makes it easier on you to keep up with the yeah, demand. and I don't want to be a mass producer. I mean, I, I produce it just so much for what, you know, feed I can raise or, you know, my son a lot sure. can raise. Uh, that's all we, you know, the number of animals correspond to that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, of course, there's there's people listening to this show all over the place, but the core of our audience is, is here in Idaho and in Oregon, and we're growing so fast. A lot of these areas mm-hmm. see farms that, that have historically been there. They're turning into subdivisions. So in your mind, with that going on, how important is it to have somebody like yourself, whether it's here, Twin Falls, Oregon, wherever, how important is it to have a farm like yourself where people can come out and they can they can kind of make that link between the food they're eating and the way it's grown? Well, I think it's really important. You know, I, I don't think we want to lose touch with where the food comes from. Yeah, there's a it's a it's a delicate dance too, because people are coming in here probably for some of the same reasons that, you know, I came here, I went out from here, you know, so uh-huh. it's kind of like I hear people that move here and then they go, well, I don't want anyone else to move here. And you're going, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> can't really do that. Um, but I think that we can't lose touch of where our food comes from. And I really want it to stay, you know, I, I totally understand a world economy. I, you have to have it, but I really want you to have a choice of getting your food locally and even, you know, if it's U.S.-based or, you know, mm-hmm. so that you have a choice. Yeah, so you're providing options for people. Yeah, and we're non-GMO. So we don't feed any genetically modified feed, which is mm-hmm. for some people. And, other you know, it's a choice. It's if other people don't mind, gene- you know, that's fine. Or some mm-hmm. people, you know. So I, I just think it's really a good thing to have different choices when you're mm-hmm. looking after your food and, and you know our prices my other thing is i like to be fairly competitive with the uh, grocery stores okay because i think everybody really deserves i don't want to be so expensive that the average family cannot buy it mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know it's 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 interesting the point you bring up about the gmos um now you can do you can listen to multiple different people get multiple different mm-hmm. answers you can look at different scientific studies you know ultimately mm-hmm. in the end as as a producer what matters to you is not the value judgment maybe as much as what do my customers customers want mm-hmm. what are they looking for and can i provide it and if i do does that give me you know a niche or does that give me a competitive edge against grocery stores or something you know does that get people to drive to my place is that part of the decision process for you well, yeah, and, and part of it is I, I, you know, and like I said, genetically modified. I just assume not. It's just my choice. Sure. You know, and, and I, I've seen studies both ways, and it's just something I raise the feed like I would eat it. Mm-hmm. So that's just, that was just one of the things, you know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't bother me, but that does. You know, I just can't, um, I decided not to. <laughs> 
And so that was something that my husband had gotten. Um, he had had cancer and, and there was just things we were looking at. And we said, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, let's cut out some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we did. So it was just our, per- it was a personal decision. And sure. then that was what we ended up, you know, doing. So other people in our boat can do the same thing. Sure. I mean, I think it's important though. I don't, you know, I don't want to look down at anybody that doesn't, you know, that doesn't have any problem with it either. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think people should have the choice. Yeah. Well, it makes sense to me and people want that choice. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting that choice. There's nothing wrong with providing them that option. That's certainly mm-hmm. true. Now with the experience. So, I mean, you've got two things going on there really, and maybe you've got more than that, but two that I see that are very obvious. One is you've got great products to sell to people and locally produced products, but mm-hmm. two, when they come out to buy it, they're getting a much different experience than they are when they go to the grocery store. Matter of fact, they're getting an experience. And so what, what do you think draws more people to you? The, the stuff you sell and the way you grow it or the experience they get when they come and buy it? I think both. Honestly, I think that, you know, a lot of our is word of mouth and just, um, I've had people that have heard about us and they're expecting a little vegetable stamp, which Mm -hmm. is that's one thing I really don't sell a lot of, but <laughs> you know, we're thinking of those little farm stands and they're shocked when they come here. I mean, they're shocked about the year round Christmas store, mm-hmm. which is something I love. And that's, that's the beauty of us that retire. You know, you can you, your job in retirement, you do what you love. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're shocked about the baking, you know, that I have a commercial kitchen here, but yeah, I think they do love the experience. Uh, we opened up our greenhouse now for indoor seating and i took okay. all the tables out and so it's like a indoor patio okay so they can come for lunch or scones on saturday and eat in this kind of an outdoor indoor place it's heated and just things like that nobody else did that and so it's unique and so if you want to go shopping and bring the kids there's stuff for the kids to do. They can go down like the, you know, petting zoo. We are hoping to upgrade the petting zoo right now. It's basically just animals that have been dropped off here. But we, <laughs> you know, we want to, you know, that's one of the things to do. And with all farming, you have a list of to-dos that go on forever. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I personally do not like going to the grocery store because I hate shopping. I, you know, mm-hmm. and so this makes it a nice experience something that kids like and you know they or they get to pick their scone out if they come on saturdays so we'll have these you know little kids and they look forward to that so sure absolutely i have one of those myself not so little (laughs) anymore but i have one well let's talk turkeys for a second so thanksgiving is coming right up and you raise turkeys but i understand it's been a difficult year very difficult uh heat is not good for turkeys the humidity was not good for turkeys. At one time, we had the rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, we buy 600 chicks, and we end up, you know, turkeys do have a high death rate because they aren't the smartest animal. But you would end up between 400 and 500 turkeys. This year, we have 150 that survived. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So, it's not a good year. Um, and then our the people that usually butcher, they're down one person with an illness. So it's probably a good thing we didn't have as many because I don't know if we could have gotten them all butchered. <laughs> so that's a problem, too. So this year was just a weird year. Um, you know, I have them all sold. We have a waiting list and then in case anybody backs out. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's that's farming. Sure. You know, good years and bad years. I mean, right now my chickens are uh, the groups. And again, it was the weather. I had two groups go into a molt and stop producing eggs. And then the one that was supposed to start laying hasn't yet. They're just starting now. So mm-hmm. the timing is completely off. Mm-hmm. And so I have no eggs. And so, you know, you just have to roll with the punches. And that's the thing without factory farming. You know, when you're, when you're doing something small like we're doing, stuff happens. And you don't have a guaranteed steady supply. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So that's a, that brings up a good question for folks who are listening and they're, they're interested in doing business with, with you or with, uh, with another farm like you Mm -hmm. when it comes to getting livestock, say for example, the turkeys, you talked about having them all sold already and having a waiting list. What do you recommend to people? Should they be getting a hold of places? How long in advance of when they want these products? I'd say June. Okay. Usually so for t- June, you want to start, we reserve you. Know, it's like a $15 deposit. You can start reserving your turkeys around June. Okay. And I would say you want most of them because even I would have most of the 400 sold now anyway. Okay. It's just that now I have a bunch of people that don't get them, mm-hmm. but um, this is getting to be too late on most years unless I have, you know, a phenomenal year and have, 600 turkey, you know okay. but um, and that's with all the places because i've heard a lot of the other places that have turkeys and i'm getting calls that no one has them around here now so mm. and so that's for turkeys you would suggest that they start making reservations in june are yeah. there uh, are there other products that you sell on contract like that no no um the other thing that i do is we have that subscription and then you mm-hmm. get first you'll get first priority i only do okay. 40 of those um and it's a monthly. And then that's the only other way. So I can keep, because I try to have animals butchered every month. So it's okay. kind of a revolving door. So um, that would be the other way that you can ensure that you would get the cuts you want. Because I'll email those people and say, okay, we're a little short on this. You might want to order some of that now. And so I communicate more with them saying what we do have and what we don't have. And so they get an option to put their orders in. And when you're doing something like that, say with beef, do you do you know which cuts to have the butcher cut and which to avoid? Yeah. So, for example, like do do you even get spare ribs for sale or roasts, or do you just concentrate on like the steaks, uh, the brisket, and the, the ground beef? Nope, it's steaks. Uh, chuck roast absolutely is one of the favorites. Okay, and it kind of depends on if you have a large family. A lot of people go through chuck roasts quite a bit because okay. they're very versatile and it's slow quick, you know, anything that's easy. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have the basic cuts. I don't do New York because okay. that's, um, and, and it's the size of them vary, you know, mm-hmm. depending on the size of the beef that I take in. So it's not your standard, this is always going to be one pound of ground beef, you know, okay. or your ribeyes only, oh, always weigh this. It's mm-hmm. based on. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, well, so as as we kind of get to the end of this, I would love to ask your advice for people listening. If if they're looking for a local market to go, a local farmer to patronize, what do you suggest they do? How do they research that? How do they choose? You know, it's it seems like all the little places that are like us, these farms, everybody kind of specializes in certain things. Uh, you know, we have non-GMO, but we do, uh, our beef will have grain. Well, you know, we don't 
treatment feedlots and high grain it, but I grain them enough to take the wild taste out of it mm-hmm. because I'm not, again, just me. I don't like uh, grass fed, just not okay. my, not what I was brought up with. You know, I hated wild game. I just didn't yet other people absolutely love it. So that's going to be one of your things. If you want hundred percent grass fed or if you want some grain. So there are places that do both. Um, and we're in availability and where you can buy it. You know, some places deliver, some places, you know, you have to go to the farm or you have to go to one of the markets. Mm-hmm. So just kind of Google and see what's out there. And then I highly recommend try them all. Okay. Yeah, that's see the best part. Are. Yeah. Try I mean, you can try anything and you could say, ah, I like the chicken here. I like the beef here. I like whatever. But the important thing is, is you have to support the local farmers or it will be a housing district. You yeah, know, that's right. And so that's, I think, is 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 key. You really need to seek out these places because there's quite a few of them around. I mean, not tons of them, but there are a lot. Yeah, you're right. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your time and your expertise with us. Mm-hmm. How can people find out more about Vogel Farms if they'd like to come check you out? Well, you can go on our website, VogelFarmsCountryMarket.com, or you can just come out. We're on Robinson Road between Lewis and Deer Flat. And we're open Wednesdays through Saturday, 10 to 5. You're welcome anytime out that time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Debbie. Okay, thank you. Well, hey, thank you very much to Debbie Englehart Vogel. And thank you to all of you for being here. And here is to you and your Western lifestyle, however you define it.